Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld, And we're going to continue his series, God's Presence Among His People, as we look at Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, with a message Dr. Newfeld's entitled, Don't Underestimate. I've often wondered about how the world moves forward, not in a gradual line of progress, but in exceptional moments. I mean, why is it, I wonder, that the greatest composers in history all lived within a little over 200 years of each other? I mean, why is it that within a very tight window that suddenly all the new technology that we now enjoy just burst onto the scene, whereas millennia went by without it? Have you noticed things like that? I once visited the Mercedes-Benz Museum in Stuttgart, Germany, and from the time that Carl Benz invented the first automobile in 1885 until now, it's been dizzying. Horrible world wars, a holocaust against the Jews, to a man setting foot on the moon, computers that access this amazing amount of information. It's just all stunning. It is possible, I think, to live in remarkable times and not notice. And from that thought, I have another. It is also possible to live in remarkable spiritual times and not notice. We underestimate our times. When Israel came back from Babylon and settled again and around Jerusalem, a great many did not imagine that they were a part of ushering in the greatest moment in all of human history. Instead, they downplayed the importance of their moment. And when they laid down the foundation of the temple, some cheered for joy and others wept, Because compared to the earlier Temple of Solomon, this temple seemed insignificant. And then, of course, opposition and threats were leveled against them from their enemies, and so the foundation that was laid was allowed to stand for about 17 years. And I assume the significance of this project was overshadowed by everyday events like, you know, building houses, putting in crops, making a living. But Haggai began to preach, and in consequence, God aroused the passions of the people, and the people renewed the project of rebuilding the temple. That's been the drama that we've witnessed up to this point, and that's the background as we begin to read from Haggai chapter 2. So let's start with verses 1 to 3. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So let's begin by noticing that this is now the third date that's recorded in the book of Haggai. We notice the first date in chapter 1, verse 1, and it corresponds in our reckoning to August 29, 520 B.C. The next date in chapter 1, verse 15, is 23 days later. Now, chapter 2, verse 1, we have the seventh month, the 21st day, which is almost a month since the last day. Now, is that important? Yeah, it is, for a number of reasons. For one, the reconstruction of the temple has been going on for almost a month now. And by that time, the greatness of the undertaking should have settled into the exiles. They were getting an idea of just how much work this is going to be, and it may be that some of them were just a bit overwhelmed by what they had begun. Second, we also know that according to the Jewish calendar, this is now the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of the deliverance from Egypt, and it was also a celebration of God's protection of Israel during their wilderness wanderings. 
And so in order to celebrate, all Israel would live in tabernacles or booths or or tents. It reminded them that God had been faithful during those wilderness years. He had protected his people in very difficult conditions in the past, and so he would do so in the future. But there's a third significance of this day. This was exactly the time of the year that Solomon, having completed the temple in his day, took all the holy furniture from the tabernacle, that is the tent, and brought it into the temple. Included in those holy articles was the Ark of the Covenant. That was a symbol of God's presence among his people. It's important to recognize that in the days of Haggai and in the days when the exiles had returned from Babylon, that the Ark of the Covenant was gone. Now, there are a lot of theories of what happened to the ark, and I'm not going to discuss that here, only to say the key part of the temple could not be restored. Now, here you see there's a reason for being discouraged. And all this explains a general sense of despondency that that seems to have settled on the exiles. Solomon's temple had the ark. We don't have it. Solomon's temple was bigger. Ours is smaller. And you see, when Israel came through the wilderness, they had been protected by God, and the next item... They conquered the land, and eventually they built an amazing temple. And in contrast, the exiles had hardly conquered the land. Rather, the Persians were allowing them to resettle their land under the watchful eye of King Darius. And the temple their forefathers had built was great. This new temple would be humble. You see how easily we become discouraged. See, I don't know about you, but I can identify with these people. I mean, look at the state of the church in our day and compare it to the great moments of revival in the past and and you get the idea. See, I love it when my friend, Dr. Michael Haken, he's a great historian of the history of the church in Canada, he tells about the time in the province of Ontario when over 90% were in church on any given Sunday, when Methodist circuit riders were constantly calling God's people to repentance and renewed faith and calling for the salvation of the lost. And I personally love to recount that Canada is called a dominion from Psalm 72, verse 8, as the founders of our land wanted the God of the Bible to have dominion from sea to sea. And those were great days, but ours, well, they're days of decline. Biblical illiteracy is prominent among God's people. How easy it is to be discouraged, and, and that's what Israel felt. Up against the great and mighty deeds of the Lord in the past, all they could do is rebuild a ruined temple, one that would be a far cry from that which originally stood on that very site. That's why Haggai says, does this temple seem small and insignificant in your eyes? Does it seem to you that you're involved in a project that's just unimportant, that your lives don't matter that much? Well, Haggai has put his finger on it. That's exactly how the exiles were feeling. And so against this background, he has his third word from the Lord to the exiles. And this word can be broken into two parts. The first is a command, and the second is a promise. So let's start with the command. I'm reading Haggai chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. There are times in our lives when it is important to, to discount our greatest fears, when it's important to ignore the feelings of discouragement. 
when it's important to carry on, even when the inner voices inside of our head are telling us that everything that we're doing doesn't really matter. It's very important to hear, especially in our culture today, in which we're constantly being told, listen to your feelings. There are times not to listen. I think there's a lesson in what we've just read. Stop listening to the inner voices of discouragement and instead just put your head down and do what God is calling you to do in the present hour. Be obedient today, regardless of how discouraged you might feel. Work, says Haggai, to Zerubbabel, the contractor for the job, to Joshua, the high priest, and to everyone who has joined them. Don't sit around and talk about your discouragement and your despondency. Get on with what God has called you to do in this present hour. Don't you bemoan your fate. Put your head down and get busy. Do it now. And then to that, Haggai adds a sure confidence that the people of God must have needed. Sure knowledge that God was with them. You know, God's presence is all that that they needed. Yeah, it was the same presence that had been with Moses. It was the same presence that had been with King David when he first conquered Jerusalem in in the first place. And the same God who had been with Solomon when he built that first temple on that very site. Take courage. Those men and women of the past didn't do great things on their own. They did great things because the God of Israel was with them. It's the same God that's with you. And that's why Haggai mentions the covenant here. It's the same covenant that God made on Mount Sinai when Israel came out of Egypt. And God is saying, look, that same covenant, it still stands. It's in effect for you as well. And so for us today, is this not a wonderful word? We are under a greater covenant. Our covenant was sealed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. How then can we ever think that our days are any less significant? Don't underestimate the power of the living God. For that reason, put your head down, busy yourself in in doing what God has called you to do in this present hour. Don't you be discouraged. There is perhaps no scripture more readily quoted or memorized than John 3.16. But sometimes, The things we think we know lose our attention. Familiarity can erode our appreciation. If you be needing a reminder of the wonderful promise held in this verse, then you'll be pleased to hear that Dr. John Neufeld has endeavored to refresh, deepen, and renew us in this simple yet profound message of God's love in his new five-message series called John 3.16. Dr. John expertly unpacks each element of this verse and applies it to the grand perspective of God's eternal plan for his glory. Because the saving message of the gospel is central to this verse, we wanted to make this CD series available to everyone this month for free. So request your free copy today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. You know, I had said that when discouragement had settled into God's people, that Haggai had given them two words from God. The first was just a command, get busy, put your head down, work. And while they do that, remember that God is with you and that God's promises will not fail. 
And then comes the second word from God, and it must have startled those exiles. It must have made everyone just look up. See, I can imagine Haggai saying what he says next, and, and everyone sits up, and someone would have said, did you hear what he just said? Did I hear that right? Huh, what did he say? Well, listen to Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, for those of you who are learning to study your Bible, here's a little lesson. Don't miss the little words. Notice the very first little word in verse 6. In the Hebrew, it's key. In the English, for. You know, that tiny word is probably as important in understanding this section as any other word. It's because Haggai's message is directly related to his earlier command. The reason why you need to put your head down and get to work, the reason why you shouldn't be discouraged, the reason why you should remember the same covenant that God made in the past and that it still applies to you, the reason that you should have energy for this task is because for the project you are undertaking is the beginning of the greatest era in human history. Notice the phrase, I will shake the heavens and so forth, verse 6. And then I will shake all nations, verse 7. Then in the latter part of verse 7, I will fill this house with glory. God is saying, I've determined to do something significant here. You're engaged in a project that I have determined in the past that you are beginning a great action of God. And so the project of rebuilding this temple is going to require faith. You're going to get the courage to carry on because you believe that what you're about is far more consequential than your wildest hopes and dreams would have allowed. Don't you dare underestimate how important this work is. Well then, what is God going to do? First, God says he's going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. He's gonna shake everything. Then says Haggai, the Lord will shake the nations. Now here, whatever Haggai means, he is saying that what God will do at this temple will have a worldwide impact. Now, please notice the middle of verse 7 again. It says, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. Now, there are other translations which say, so that the desired of all nations shall come in. And from that translation, it is taken as a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. That is, this second temple will be so important that the desired of the nations, that is the Messiah, will enter into this temple. Now, as tempting as that translation is for, I like it. Yet I do know that the Hebrew grammar and the context doesn't really allow for that as a good translation. Instead, the text really does say that the nations of the earth will bring their treasures or their wealth into this house. Now, this was fulfilled to some extent when Darius issued a decree that the temple should be built. And it was also fulfilled about 60 years later when, according to Ezra 6, verse 8, the then Persian king, Artaxerxes, made a decree. And I read here from Ezra chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. These are his directions about the Jewish temple. It says, The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, that is, from the Persian revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. 
and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep, or for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests of Jerusalem require, let it be given to them day by day without fail. Now, that money that flowed from the temple, from the Persian treasury, can be complete or the total fulfillment of what Haggai was talking about. So how should we understand this? Well, interestingly enough, this passage is actually quoted in the New Testament. I'm reading Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, and it says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And then later it says that the shaking is the removal of all things that can be shaken, and therefore we should be grateful that we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. Now, what fascinates me about this passage from Hebrews, which you remember, it quotes from Haggai, is that the writer of Hebrews knows that in the Old Testament, it refers to two things. First, Exodus 19 verse 18 says that when God gave the Ten Commandments, that the entire mountain and the desert floor below the mountain was shaking. But this shaking affected all the earth. So, for instance, in Psalm 68 verses 7 and 8, we read, O God, when you went out before your people, When you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. That is to say, what God did at Sinai would eventually shake the earth. The earth would never be the same after the Ten Commandments were given. And that's true. That's what happened. Okay, let's see if we can summarize so far. God is saying that in the building of his temple, I will shake the nations, even as at the giving of the law. The nations were also shaken then. Therefore, God is saying that what happens in this rebuilt temple will completely upset or it will overthrow or it will change the very nature of the world's nations so much so that their wealth is going to come into this house. Okay, I hope you're following me so far. It's a little complicated. Now to the last part of verse 7. I will fill this house with my glory. Now, When will that happen? Look to verse 9. It says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. That is, when this house is built, it looks remarkably humble. But in the end, during the last days of the existence of this house, it's going to be glorious. And from that, we have to assume that then the nations will be shaken when the future glory of this house is revealed. Now, as we know, that was fulfilled when Jesus, the Savior of the world, rode up to this house, when he was condemned in this house, when he died for the sins of the world not far from this house. Let me read Matthew 27, verses 50 to 51. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And then go forward to Matthew 28, verse 2, which describes what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So the events that happened at the second temple put in motion a series of events in which the risen Jesus was proclaimed as Prince of Peace to the whole earth. The events that occurred at the temple, the second temple, set in motion a worldwide proclamation of the gospel. It gathered people from every nation and tribe and people and tongue. The events that occurred out of this temple has led to people from every nation contributing the very best that they have and giving it to the glory of God for the glory of Christ. 
But of course, the series of events that began in this temple will eventually lead to the second coming of Christ. And then the ultimate shaking of the heavens and the earth will appear. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And that's what Haggai was intimating. You guys are discouraged at the building of this temple because you can't imagine that the things you're doing are at all significant. See, here's what you don't know that you're building a stage on which the greatest play the earth has ever seen is about to be acted out. You're building a stage that prepares for the hope of the human race. See, I began by saying it's interesting that, you know, the greatest composers of the earth happened in a very short period of time. Indeed, it seems to me that there are special moments that are designed by God, and that tells me that God has his moments, and they are moments that are not quickly discerned by us. That's what Haggai is saying to these builders. You think this activity is not significant? Think again. God chooses the moments of significance. Listen, discouraged people of God, don't you know that's true for us today? You see, it's so easy for us to become discouraged and say, these aren't great days. But you're only looking through the eyes of the flesh Look through the eyes of faith and imagine what God is doing in our day. For that reason, be encouraged and be ever more vigilant to obey all that the Lord has commanded us to do. For these are great days indeed. John, thanks for your message. You know, it reminded me of something you said today about don't underestimate, but also what we talked about yesterday in respect to revival. And I think, you know, in our day and age, it seems like we just, we've just sort of given up. We just don't think there's opportunity for revival anymore. But there is, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, you know, I just am taken up again in this, in this, in this amazing book of Haggai. You know, they're building a shack out there in the bush. I mean, they can't imagine this is anything significant at all when they're building the renewed temple. And they don't have any idea what God is planning. They're just completely oblivious. I mean, how would they know? But they're also discounting that possibility. They can only see what's before them. And so if in our day we only see, well, fewer people are going to church than ever before. And oh my, in our day, well, you know that God's people are illiterate. I mean, they don't even know their Bible anymore. And oh my goodness, the preaching is on the downside of things. And have you heard some of the crazy stuff we're singing in church? It's not like the old hymns. And it's true, it's all true. But here's the thing. When we discount, when we underestimate the hand of God, that's when the problem starts. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us tomorrow as we conclude our series on the book of Haggai right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Every day we hear from listeners across the country, and your words of encouragement mean so much. Mason recently wrote, I really appreciate that you teach the Bible, straightforward, no mincing of words, as it is, and so informative. You know, we're grateful for messages just like these, but they only happen because of your generous support to help extend this program's reach across the nation to resource Canadians with trustworthy Bible teaching. It's a privilege to stand with like-minded and like-hearted individuals who share the steadfast commitment to see others engaged in the dynamic relationship with Jesus, grounded in biblical truth. 
Your donations are absolutely pivotal in fulfilling Back to the Bible Canada's mission, and we're so blessed by your partnership. To give today, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.